This is Black Millennial Money. This is Black Millennial Money, where we talk about how you can make more money, keep more money, invest your money, and spend your money on the finer things in life, all from a Black Millennial perspective. My name is Joseph Osu, and today I have Miss Aisha the Deji on the show. But before we get into all of that, in this Make Money episode of Black Millennial Money, you guys know what I'm going to say. If you haven't liked, subscribed, and followed us on every platform, you're missing a trick. So head over to the YouTube, like and subscribe there, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Instagram, Twitter, we're everywhere. Don't miss out. Support the movement. Also, for those of you who are really about supporting the movement and have got tons of value from this because we've been cranking these out every week, we hit, we're a top 30 business podcast in the UK in 2020. Head over to our Patreon. Head over to our Patreon. Become part of the movement. Start supporting this growth. And by the end of this year, end of 2021, top 10 or nothing. Top 10 or nothing for Black Millennial Money. So, as I always say, we have illustrious guests on the show, and today is no exception. No exception. So, we're talking about making money in this episode. We're talking about tutoring as a side hustle, and I have a serial side hustler on the show. She has three side hustles that pay her over £500 a month. Remember, a side hustle is only truly a side hustle if it pays you at least £500 a month or one week's wages after tax, whichever is the highest. So... She has six streams of income and is well on her way to her seventh. Miss Aisha Dedeji, how does it feel to be on the show today? I'm excited. <laughs> I'm happy to be here. Top 30. I'm excited. <laughs> At, when that top 30 thing came through, I was blown away. But you know what? We've been putting in the work. The people, the people love us. The content is high quality. I'm wearing like 30 plus countries around the world, right? Like I keep telling you we're international. If you haven't seen it, go to the Instagram, check out the, the statistics, see the screenshots, a BMM Global pod, but we're doing it. We're doing it. So Aisha, you're on the show. We're here to talk about side hustles. And you are the person I know with the most amount of income streams, given that you're not even fair yet, which is crazy. Um, <laughs> tell us three things we should know about you, because we know, we, know, we know the accolades. We know that at least income... You're making a full-time income just from side hustling while you have a full-time job with an additional three streams of income. <laughs> tell us what's regular about Aisha. Come on, tell us what's regular. Regular, wow. Okay, so I, I've worked in five different countries. Abu Dhabi, Nigeria, South Africa, Saudi Arabia. Oh, in the UK. Um... <laughs> Um, I am a, no, I'm an ex-ME pro basketball player. So I played for Kent and I played for Loughborough Uni and played for Leicester at a point. Um, and I'm extremely accident prone. I've dislocated money eight times, 12 times, broken my leg once, I've broken three toes. I think that's it. I haven't broken anything else. All right. So let's, let's go back a little bit. Let's go back a little bit. So you've <laughs> worked in five countries. And bear yep. in mind, like I just said a few minutes ago, you're not even fair yet. What were you doing? <laughs> um, so I was working in South Africa in Stan Standard Bank. So I was doing investment banking there. And then because they were going through like a xenophobia phase and they were just killing everyone, I had to move to Nigeria. So I, I didn't choose to move to Nigeria, but I moved there. That was fine. And then I was working with the Abu Dhabi team for a bit. And that was a placement year. So after university, 
the Abu Dhabi team offered me a permanent job. And that was more kind of the bank was trying to move into the UAE. So I was helping with that kind of process. And my mom's Muslim. So I thought, okay, like I'll understand the culture. No, I didn't understand it at all because then my clients were from Saudi Arabia. And the problem with that is as a female and as a black female, they don't really respect you. They don't speak to you. I had to have a male secretary speak on my behalf. And then I got, I got stopped by police because I went to Baskin Robbins to get ice cream and females at that time were not allowed out past, I think it was seven o'clock without like a male chaperone. And I didn't have any, didn't have a brother, dad or anything. And I went to get Baskin Robbins and I got stopped by police and I had to sit in a cell for 16 hours until my employer bailed me out. And then obviously I then ran back to the UK and that's why I work here now. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Okay. So that was eventful (laughs) to say the least. So I always say this to you, you're someone that there's never a dull moment for better or for worse. <laughs> now, um, talk to us about some of these broken bones, because like some of them happened really recently. Like, <laughs> what happened? Okay, so the I fractured my leg in gym, and I didn't realise it was fractured, I just thought it was a sprain, because I sprained my leg all the time. And then we, were, we had a friendly, it wasn't even a proper match, it was a friendly match, boys v girls at uni. And I was trying to show off. And because the hoop, the hoop is lower for females, so I can actually hold on to the hoop. So I was holding, I was hanging on to the hoop and I was thinking, right, like my leg, my leg really hurts, but it's fine. I'll just drop, drop. And I dropped and I heard it like snap. I didn't feel anything at first, but I heard it. So I've got stitch marks on the back of my leg where the bone went through the skin. Um, and I think because of how bad that was, my leg just didn't heal properly. Like it, when it did kind of heal, it used to dislocate all the time. I'd be driving and if I break too hard, it would dislocate. So that's how the 12 dislocations happened. And then in terms of my recent one, I had an operation for something else. I was on crutches and I think I was playing with my little brother and I tried to kick something and I hit the wall and broke three of my toes. (laughs) So So when I went to hospital, and I was already on crutches. The woman was like, what, like, what's wrong with you? Um, so she gave me a mobility boot. She's like, how, how does someone break their toes when they're already on crutches? Injury prone, that's just me. Well, okay. Something so. that we, we talk about a lot on the show is life insurance and critical illness. I hope you get yours in place or have them already in place. Because I don't know. It sounds, <laughs> like, it sounds like you may need it. So um, <laughs> more than most. Because everyone does need it. <laughs> no, that medical insurance is, don't worry, I got it. Because okay. me, I need it. Definitely. <laughs> we can't have Use you. Use that a couple of times. Something else might happen. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. Okay, so we are here to talk about a tutoring as a side hustle. And this is one that comes up often because it seems like such a readily available um, route to making some money, right? But for you, how did it all start? Why... How did you get into tutoring and why did you choose tutoring? Um, So like I said, I worked abroad for a while. And then um, when I came back to the UK, because I hadn't been in the UK for a while, I didn't have like, I didn't have my my accounts are dormant. And so I had to kind of spend time kind of getting my accounts up and running. So I thought, okay, what can I do quickly um, to get some kind of income? So I thought the easiest thing to do without having to go through a strenuous process was tutoring. Um, So it, Initially, it wasn't a side hustle. It was kind of like my only job <laughs> at the time. I had a couple of other side hustles as well, but that was like the main one. Um, 
so and my dad is a no he's not anymore but he was a head teacher so for like I had access to a lot of resources and things just because my dad was a head teacher so he used to help me with lesson plans and stuff um so that helped and I think the other reason I wanted to get into tutoring is I've always mentored and back in school I was a really badly behaved very badly behaved child I went for a real phase and there was only one teacher that could ever kind of keep me in keep me intact and she's my math teacher and I remember she um she there was one day that she just didn't come to school and I kicked off because I was thinking like where is she um so because of my behavior they had to call her back into the school she came back and we had a conversation and she literally took off her wig and I remember thinking what like what's going on and she was like look Ash I've got cancer and the reason I haven't been at school is because it's terminal so she was like, look, just promise me that you're going you're gonna to fix up because this behavior is ridiculous. You're very academic, but I'm the kind of person at school that would say, oh, I don't care because I'm bringing A's to the, I'm bringing A's to the school anyway, so you can't kick me out. So um, she, she basically died on my exam, but I didn't know. Obviously, no one told me until after. So I think because of that promise I made to her, I kind of felt like I kind of, I need to give back. And that's why the passion is around maths as opposed to any other subjects because she was my maths teacher and it's my favorite subject. It was. Oh, wow. So you do have, so it kind of started off as like, okay, I just need to make money, which a lot of people are going to be in a similar situation um, because of job changes and like all sorts of things that can lead to you essentially needing to get a fresh start. But also you had, you had a deeper why as to why it was math specifically and I guess you saw the impact of like teaching and having the right kind of people in your circle. So um, as much as having a dad who's a head teacher helped, how did you get started? Where, where was your first steps into actually getting people to tutor? Because honestly, like your dad can't find your students officially, can he? <laughs> no. So I, I'm one of the eldest in my family in my external family. So I have a lot of cousins and a lot of them seem to struggle with maths. I don't know why. So I kind of started off with family and family friends. Just, it was more for a confidence boost. It was for me to build my confidence and to make sure I could do things. And I would practice the lesson plans my dad would do. There's a couple of times that he'd even watch me if it was like a, a cousin that we both know or he'd do it with me just so that I kind of came up to speed. Um, and then I thought, okay, I'm, I'm ready for this. Let me start applying for um, actual tutoring businesses. So I applied to like the Early Learning Center. I applied to Tutor For You. Um, I, tried, I applied to Justin Craig because during my A-levels, I actually went to Justin Craig, which is like an intensive course. So I applied there. And then a friend of mine, it's a friend of a friend, but we're now friends. He um, has a tutoring company and I was introduced by like our mutual friend and he was like, yeah, like if you're, if you're kind of down to tutor and you seem like you've done a lot already, I'm happy to kind of have you on board. So started working with him, did like a mini interview as to why I wanted to do it. And then, um, yeah, I just started working with him. It got to a point where I was working more with him than any of the other tutoring companies. Like I had, there was a point in my life that I had 36 children to tutor a week I, I, I can't imagine doing that now <laughs> but <laughs> there was a point where I had 36 and that's when I had a job so that's when I was also working at my current employer 
Wow. Okay. So I think there's some interesting nuggets to pull out of that. So your first step really, even though you could have gone straight to um to the tutoring businesses and trying to get some help, you started with people who are closer. And you've got again, you're fortunate to have lots of younger cousins who could benefit from your maths help but it was an easy sort of softer introduction rather than like someone who's paying you per day, uh, per hour to now deliver results essentially because they're not paying you to just babysit are they? they they really want to get some results so that's an interesting thing for other people to take out of that that before you actually hit the big wide world of tutoring maybe start with with things that are local so family members friends kids and then that will probably show you if you like this at all because like, if if kids you're related to or have an affinity to through their parents are too much for you to handle, maybe strangers' kids are probably a, a bit of a stretch. And just for clarification, Aisha, how long have you been a tutor for now? Uh, I've been tutoring for about six years. Yeah, I've been tutoring for about six years. Yeah. And how long of that have you been working full-time as well? about five five years and about eight months. I only, I only did this without having like a nine to five for about four months. Okay. So the majority of the time I've been, I've been working. And just to clarify, you, you work in a finance for a very well-known company. So you have an intense day job and you can still make in excess of 500 pounds a month on the side tutoring, correct? Yep. It's not okay. easy, but... <laughs> no, but there's a lot of people that will be listening to this. Like, I work 70 hours a week and uh, I don't have time to make extra money even though I want to. And you're testament to someone who's figured it out. And again, it's not easy because your nine to five isn't easy. Like, there's, no e- there's no shortcuts until the flywheel starts moving. Like, once the money starts coming in, you can start looking at different opportunities. But in the beginning... It's always going to be tough. Like I've said it a few times on a podcast, making money in the beginning is always an unequal exchange. It always takes more time than it pays until it doesn't. But you have to go through that first phase. Have to go through that first phase. Now, talking about money, which is what everyone listening to is really, really trying to get to the to the crux of. How much money can you make as a tutor? So, Aisha, what's your best month been like? And I'm not trying to get HMRC running after you. So, so maybe. Uh, pinch of salt a little bit for us okay so when I was at my peak when literally all I had going was my bank job and tutoring there was nothing else it was about four thousand pounds take home in addition to your nine to five yeah in fact at that time that was more there was a point where my tutoring was more than my salary that was the point (laughs) That was the point where your cheer was more than yours. <laughs> and just to clarify, what you say before you started doing other things, that was before your other side hustle started kicking off, you mean? So you still had a nine to five and you still had this as a side hustle and pulling in four grand a month. Yeah. So I had, yeah. Yeah. So on my, no, so my, my average was about 2005-ish. A month. But then, yeah, a month. Um, my best was about 4,000 but I think I could do that because of the fact that at the time I literally only had I say only like it's easy but I had my bank job and then I had this so everything was around those two whereas now I have so many other things that I do I don't have the capacity to dedicate that amount of time to tutoring because tutoring is time consuming okay (laughs) 
Okay. And um, just for perspective, because we've essentially named one fantastic full-time income, one average full-time, well, actually the average full-time income is less than two and a half thousand a month. And so let's, what's a bad month been like? And also what was your first month like? Just to give some perspective. <laughs> um, a bad month, usually around summer, is about 900, but you still get people that want to tutor. Um, and then I think my worst, my first month ever, I made, I made about 200 pounds because I only had three or four clients. Now you mentioned summer. Is there some seasonality in this? So like that four grand, did you make it in exam periods or, or was it like, oh yeah, I'm just making four grand a month for like 10 months of the year? No, it was, okay, exam period is pretty bad. Not bad, but like exam period is where I make the most um, money because it's around January, December and June, April, May, June is when people up the amount of tutoring they want. Um, but in all honesty, I think there was a point when I had about 36, when I had about 36 kids, I was making around about 3,000, five consistently every month, but then it would, no, 3,000. And then it would bump up to about 4K around the exam time because I would then have to come straight after work or I'd have to, on bank holidays, I'd be tutoring. So, yeah. Okay. So the money is there to be made, but it's intense. <laughs> like it's not, but again, how many things can you make four grand a month in and it not require a high level of output? It's, I can't think of many things to be fair. <laughs> um, so, okay. So we've, we've kind of gone through the backstory, why you got into it, the money you've made in it and continue to make. Cause even now where you've got more side hustles, it's still pulling in at least 500 pounds a month. Yeah. And um, what are the challenges though? What are the, what are the things that were tricky, especially when you were first trying to understand? And, and it sounds like the time commitments were particularly um, challenging in peak seasons as well. My, so my challenges changed as I started working. So initially the challenges were more around like preparation and lesson planning because initially I, I thought, okay, you just tutor and that's it. But in actual fact, I need to give them homework. I need to mark that homework. So I need to prepare a lesson plan. I need to monitor their progress because I kind of created a structure where I have a conversation with their parents first, just to understand what the parents want. Um, and then we go from there. Before, before we even do like a, a tutoring session, they need to do an exam. So I know what I'm tutoring them. Tutoring is in addition to what you learn at school. So I'm not going to teach you everything. I'm just going to teach the things that you're lacking in. So preparation and lesson planning was my initial and like the tracking of students. So the more students I had, the harder it became and I started to have to like make a software on my laptop just so I could track the different children. Um, I think the thing when I started working, obviously I couldn't tutor in the day anymore. So I would have to tutor after five o'clock and for the younger children, that's just not feasible because they go to bed at like eight. So I'd have to tutor them on weekends. So I had to give up my weekends. Um, that was tough because I'm relatively social. So um, it was, that was a little bit difficult because I had to kind of structure every Saturday, my whole day's books, every Sunday, my whole day's books until about seven where I can do social stuff. Um, so that was hard. And then I think another thing is juggling the different tutoring companies. So obviously the main one was my friend's business. 
and then I was still doing family and friends and then I was kind of dipping into different companies and they all have different ways of doing things some of them pay you monthly some of them pay you weekly some of them pay you ad hoc so it's managing the different money for one and also the different times because some of them will just call you and be like okay can you see this person on a one-off but I might already have someone that I see regularly at that time and then another company might call but then I like money so another company might call and they're paying more than who I normally have so I might move that one around so that I can make way for the other one so I think managing my diary was a real struggle but I've I've got to a point where I've got like a system in place Okay. So, and that's, I think that's really important to call out, especially when it comes immediately after we talk about making thousands of pounds a month, because there is some perspective to this. As a tutor, you do lesson plans, you mark homework, and you have to be very accountable to very demanding parents who may not fully understand their children's capabilities. And are thinking that um, this is how we taught in back home or wherever back home is. And that's not going to work for your kid because the context is different. Um, something you something you didn't mention was travel. Do you have? I know, like with like since COVID and all of that kind of thing, everything's moved online a lot more. But when you were traveling to people's homes, which is going to be a reality, how was that logistically? Was it tough? So I initially, yeah, because I had no plan, and one thing I did not want is I didn't want people in my house. So that was another option. A lot of the time people would ask, oh, can we come to you? I have the space. I just don't want you to know where I live. Um, so it got to, there was a point where it was just, it was all over the place. I like driving, so I actually don't mind, but it wasn't feasible at a point. So I had to then, there was one year, I remember this, there was one year that I literally restructured all my, it's one June, I restructured all my lessons so that, there, I had a lot of clients in Wimbledon at one point. So I made sure that every single Wimbledon client was on a Sunday. So my whole day was spent in Wimbledon on Sundays. Anything in the week, I would try and make sure was not too far from work so I can get to get there from work. And then Saturdays were places that were not too far from my home because that's when I'm more likely to go out. So I need to go home on time. So after about a year, I had to structure where I was located. And then it got to a point where I actually had to say no to some people because they would be based in North and the only day they could do is Sunday and I'm in Wimbledon all day. I, I can't physically do it. It's not, it doesn't make sense. The amount of petrol I waste doesn't make sense. So there were some people that had to, when I made that structure, I had to decline some people or refer them to the tutoring company. Okay, got it. And um, you kind of mentioned you didn't want people to know where you live. So there's a safety element for a lot of people in this where you're going into other people's homes. So uh, talk to us about that dynamic. So the thing is, because I was working for different companies, they usually vetted the people. So I didn't really have an issue. Obviously, like because of COVID now, um, that's been a bit more of an issue. There are some people that I visit. There are some people that want to do it online. I'd rather visit just because it's easier for me to have that interaction. Um, but even visiting now is a bit difficult. Um, but back before COVID, because of the vetting, I never really had major issues. My thing, personally, I don't like animals. I don't like dogs. I don't like cats. Like, I can't stand them. So I would tell tutors, I'd tell the companies, look, if they have dogs or they have cats, I'm not going. Like, you don't need to understand that I'm not going. There was one client that had three cats and a dog but her daughter loved me. So she was, she was just, she was adamant to do anything. So what they would do is like, 
they'd video themselves locking the the, the animals outside just so I knew they were outside. They'd let me into the room. They'd make sure I had drinks, biscuits, everything there so I don't need to leave. And the toilet was right next door as well. So if I wanted to go to the toilet, I was fine. She's the only person that I've done that for. Everyone else, if you've got pets and the pets are not fish, that was the only thing that worried me. But other than that, <laughs> okay. other than that, it was fine. <laughs> well, okay, so that... that before we get to the pets because that's a whole next conversation but something that's important is if you are going through companies how you know you're working for a good company is if they do vetting and I should just to clarify does some of that vetting involve interviewing the parents and visiting the home to make sure you guys will be safe yeah so some most of the companies would have when someone applies they have a whole process of going to visit the company before I even enter um as in going to visit the client's home you mean Sorry, yeah, the, going to visit the client's home before I even enter, um, kind of understanding the dynamics. So there were some, there were some kids who um, would, like, they'd be home alone without their parents, which is why I then have to, that's why I had to get a DBS check. Um, but even that, they, under, they need to understand the dynamics. So that I know that, okay, if I'm coming at four o'clock, there's not going to be any adults at home. So I need to make sure that the child is safe as well as opposed to, or I need to make sure I get them on time because they're home alone, as opposed to, I know they're at home with their parents. So if I'm a little bit late, it's not that serious. And again, like there were some instances where the mum would call me to let me know that, okay, I can go in at that time because the child has been told not to open the door because not to open the door for anyone except me. So logistically, I'd ha- we would have to figure that out before I even start. So that was part of the process for most of them. Okay, so we've covered a lot in this first segment. So um, I think so, uh, stuff to pull out for listeners that will be useful is understanding uh, why you really want to get into it. What are your motivations? And yes, money can be your motivation, but also a commitment to excellence and understanding that you're impacting a future generation is also crucially important. Because um, when Aisha says she was a bit of a wild kid, let your imagination wander. <laughs> and then come back just a little bit that's a that's roundabout where she was um and then in terms of getting started it's good to start with what's available rather than saying oh yeah I want to get tons of qualifications I want to put a lot of money into this let me just see what resources I can gather give it a few trials with friends and family and people who have children around me and see if this is something that's a good fit for me also when it comes to making the money when you play your cards right, like Aisha's going to break down for us in the next segment, £4,000 months in addition to your income are not uncommon. If you only just want to make a quick 500 consistently, that is definitely there for you. But anything between 500 and 4000 and remember, that's the HMRC figure, um, is available to you. And lastly, it's not to say that this thing comes about its challenges. It's work. It's genuine work. You have to prepare lessons. You have to mark homework. You have to manage teacher, a parent expectations, student expectations. Every kid is different, even if they're siblings. So managing that process is a whole different thing to figure out. And maintaining your safety, whether that be from pets who are not in tanks or cages, or if you're going into people's homes and you need the company that you're working with to vet them, which but to vet the clients, to vet the family, to understand the dynamics so you can work safely 
it's crucially important and also keep others safe because you have a duty of care towards the child you're tutoring. All of these things are key considerations and we're going to break it down step by step as to how you can prepare for success as a tutor in the second half of this episode. So stay tuned and we'll be back after the break. If you have any questions or dilemmas that you'd like to have featured on our podcast or on our YouTube channel, go to blackmillennialmoney.com, click the contact page and send it to us. Names will be changed or kept anonymous unless you say otherwise. And we are back in this make money episode of Black Millennial Money. We're talking about tutoring. We have our guest Aisha on the show and she's breaking down how you can make at least £500 tutoring on a monthly basis. And in this half of the show, we're talking about how you can position yourself for success. So as the adage goes... Smart people learn from their own mistakes. Wise people learn from the mistakes of others. And Aisha is going to break down the blueprint that she recommends after being someone who's made several thousands of pounds on a consistent basis from tutoring as to how you can get started in the best possible way. So to get started, Aisha, from the very, very beginning, what's the first thing someone should do if they're trying to get into a tutoring game, help kids get to their full potential and make this education coin? (laughs) Okay, number one, you need to get a DBS check. Um, most, most, peop- most of the like, employers or the tutor companies will do it for you. Some are fee, most of them are fee, but they usually do it for you because you cannot tutor if you have not had a DBS check because if you're like, God forbid, like a child molester or something, you can't tutor for obvious reasons. Um, but, <laughs> secondly... But also... Well, also um... Just to clarify, DBS check isn't just for child molesters, right? It's for anything on your criminal records. So, so depending on what it was, like um, this is this is pretty public information. When I was 15 years old, I committed a crime and got in trouble for it. Um, the nature of that crime, attempted robbery, stupid, trying to take someone's phone. You live in new land. Um, but that would mean that certain companies might exclude me as someone who could tutor children in home. But that doesn't necessarily mean I can't tutor at an office somewhere because some people may think, uh, even though this was 16, 17 years ago, I don't want someone with down there going around to people's homes. And that's fine. And it, <laughs> But it's, it's just to make that distinction that some of, there may be some things that could exclude you from being able to tutor in people's homes or being able to work with particular organisations that could be on your DBS check that are not related to you being a terrible human. It could just be a childhood mistake. So something to bear in mind from that point. But I think, actually you're about to talk about some qualifications that you might need. And we had a listener question from Instagram. So for those of you who are not following us on Instagram, if you want to ask questions about topics we're going to feature on the show, head over to BMM Global on Instagram and submit your questions there either by DM or check out our stories where we post questions regularly. So this question comes from Lee in London. Do I have to be proficient in a subject or can I learn as I go? Like what are the rules around your level of qualification to be able to teach? Okay, so to answer that question, you cannot learn as you go. Um, You can learn to tutor as you go, but you can't learn the subject. So you can only tutor one level above what you are qualified for or what you've achieved. So for example, if I studied maths at university, I could tutor A-level maths, further maths, GCSE, I could tutor anything below what's my highest level of study. 
I stopped studying maths at further maths. So I did maths A-level and then I did further maths as well. So I can't tutor further maths, but I can tutor normal A-level maths. I can tutor GCSE, I can tutor 11 plus and everything below. Um, and then this is kind of subject to the companies. Some companies require more than you just studying it. You have to have got a specific grade. So for example, I can tutor GCSE maths because I've studied above that, but I got an ASR in maths at GCSE. If I got a C, I probably wouldn't be allowed to, to tutor GCSE because at the end of the day, a lot of these things are learned from experience. How can I teach someone? How can a parent come and tell me, yeah, they want their child to get an A? I didn't get an A myself. So dependent on the companies, um, you may not be able to tutor if you haven't got a specific grade. The grade is usually A or B for all the companies I've worked for. It's A or B, but there's a few that may accept Cs, but generally it's A or B. That's the kind of standard. And it's a tough, it's a tough thing to sort of explain, but it, it does make sense, right? You, the best people to learn from are from people who have been there and done it. And something that stood out in our prep conversation is that, for example, with some companies, even if you have like a maths degree, right? Like you know maths, like there's no denying that you know maths if you went to uni to do it, right? If you didn't do an 11 plus exam, some companies won't accept you because you've never done the 11 plus and that's a specific preparation. Is that correct? Yeah, so that's, that's a bit more rare because um, it does, there's, there's a company that I did work for that they didn't allow you to do the 11 plus because of the fact that part of tutoring is not just learning master, part of it is exam prep. So coming to June, I don't even do, I don't teach maths anymore. We just do exam prep. How can I prep you on how to do an exam if I didn't do it myself? Because I don't know the process of that exam. Um, but then again, because of the fact that the curriculum changes so often, it's becoming less and less important. So for example, even like right now, when I was at school, you were graded A, B, C, D. Now it's nine, eight, seven, whatever. It's in numbers. So I still have to kind of get my mind around, okay, nine is A star star, eight is A star. Like, so I didn't do the exams how they do them now. Even maths A-level, that curriculum has changed slightly to make it kind of more aligned with GCSE. So cool, I didn't do that when I was growing up, but I can still teach it because the core content is the same. So some of them won't allow it, but it's becoming less common because of the fact that the curriculum changed all the time. So you can't, you can't say that because they didn't do something 10 years ago that they won't be able to teach it because it's still, you're still learning the same thing. You just need to be up to date with what the current kind of curriculum is like, which I could do because my dad was a math teacher. Okay, so to wrap that up, um specifically on the qualifications in order for you to be able to teach a certain level you need to have achieved well at the level above it so to be clear um you can teach gcse subjects if you did that subject at a level or higher and got a high grade in it usually an a or a b some companies will allow you to start from a lesser a lesser qualification but it, it may still be difficult for you to get in um, and that's more lent from teachers expect from parents' expectations who are the ultimate customers here, right? Like if you had kids and you had to choose between a C grade student and an A star student to teach them, and you are willing to pay for extra tuition, which means you're investing in education, which one would you pick? Especially if they cost the same, right? Like who would and 
it's crazy because we're talking about people and we're talking about quote unquote quality. But if you could buy something that was quantifiably better than something else for the exact same price per hour, you would choose the better quality thing. So it's tough, but it's a really good thing to know if you're picking tutoring as a side hustle. So Aisha, on next on the list in terms of preparation, based on what you've told me, because I know nothing about tutoring, would be researching. Um, talk to us about researching. Um, I think I this is something I didn't do, but I definitely would do if I was to start again, is I would speak to other tutors or even like mentors, because I think even if, even if you just go on LinkedIn and speak to people that are tutors on LinkedIn, just because I did not, I didn't understand the level of prep required to to tutor. Like you, there's a lot of prep required even before you have lesson one. You can't just say think think. Oh, I like maths. Another thing is, I also hadn't done maths for six seven years when I started tutoring. So no, it wasn't six. It was about five. I hadn't done maths for about five years. So I had to re-look at the books, re-remember how to do certain things and learn different ways or remember different ways of, because what if I understand how to do something in one way, a child might not understand that method. So I need to brush my skills up on three different ways of answering one question. So there's a lot of research involved and you need to go back and look at your books and go back and remind yourself on how to do certain things. Okay, so that initial research and then... Um... I think getting a plan of attack in place. And you mentioned it a little bit in the first half of this episode where you you now start with a test just so you know what you should be working with the kids on. And that gives you a foundation to now have a conversation with the parent to set their expectations that, um, like specifically with maths, I can't teach your kid quadratic functions if they don't understand algebra yet because they need to have that basic grounding. So this is where we're going to start. I know you want them to learn quadratics, but the reason they're struggling with quadratics is because they don't know algebra basic. They don't know A plus B equals C. They, they haven't even figured it out. So if you start adding new numbers and, <laughs> and, putting, and putting bod mass and stuff on top of it, people get headaches. So now you can contextualize the conversation. And this is me sort of bragging on my GCSE maths, by the way. Um, <laughs> and then as you said, and now adapting that whole process to the kid, whatever suits the kid, right? Um, would What kind of skills would you say are most essential for a tutor to make sure that they either start developing or already have built in and know how to flex in a, in a particular situation? <laughs> the thing I've learned the most while tutoring is how to be patient because <laughs> it's a bit easier when you're doing it with family and friends, but when it's children that you don't know, and they're just not getting it. I think I'm, I'm, I'm a lot better at it now because I do it regularly. But when I first started, I used to get a bit frustrated because we would go through something for two hours and then the following week you've forgotten the whole thing. And that would really annoy me because my lesson plan is that, okay, we're going to move on from, I don't know, bus stop method to something else. I can't do that because you don't get the last thing. So we now have to go through that again and waste another two hours redoing it because you didn't learn it before. Um, so you definitely need to be patient. But I think the other thing that's taught me is that you, different children have different approaches. And that's why I said earlier that it's so important for me to understand at least two different ways of working out one question because 
I don't like long division. I couldn't stand it at school. I had to do it, but I didn't like it. There's a, there's a shorter way of doing division, which I prefer. A lot of children don't like that way. So I have to teach the way they understand. Or what I usually do is I will work out a question using both methods and they will tell me what they understand. And then whatever they understand is how we'll continue the lesson. So I think understanding that children are different and being patient with them. Another thing is I would always have a conversation with their parents about what do they like? Do they like um, colors? If they like colors, we'll do things in red if it's important, we'll do things. So I would try and find that out beforehand. And another thing I used to do, um, this is almost bribery to be honest. Um, we do like quizzes and competitions and I would find out what their favorite chocolate is from like their mum, or even sometimes from them. If they got 10 out of 10 on their homework or whatever, they would get a chocolate or they would get something obviously with their parents' approval. So that I only really do with like the younger children. I don't, when you're GCSE, what do you need chocolate for? But with the younger kids, it's understanding what their motivators are. A lot of them are sweets and those kind of things. And once you have parents' permission, doing that. Another thing is being organized, like <laughs> organizing your time, organizing different kids. There were times I would choose two kids at once because they'd be twins, but they've got completely differing levels of understanding. So I would need to plan that lesson in a way that I'm conscious of the fact that this person's going to take longer to do this question. So I'm going to give them less work than their sibling who picks up on things quite quickly. Um, you need to be adaptable because like I said, children are very, very different. Another thing is sometimes what their parents believe they are is not what they are. So mm. I had to learn how to manage parents. And you There's had a good story related to that. This one, <laughs> this one had, I can, I can literally just see these parents in my head, the type of parents this is. So go on, sorry. Tell us a story so I have a lot of African parents and I have a lot of Asian parents that this kind of thing happens to. There was one in particular who her, his parent was convinced that this guy was going to go to Harvard, not Oxford, not Cambridge, Harvard. And he just like, he just Sorry, wasn't. How old was he? How old was he and his parents were seven. He was seven years old. <laughs> I still doesn't have adult teeth yet, but he's definitely mm -mm. going to have it. Okay, seven. Cool. And it's weird because he had so he had a twin brother, and one of them was relatively smart. Like he was way above his level. I was teaching him early GCSE stuff at the age of like nine. Obviously, I've been tutoring them for years now. At the age of like nine, I was teaching him very early GCSE stuff. The other son. He just, he didn't have a very good attention span. He just wasn't, maths just wasn't for him. So it would take me a lot longer to do things. And he would always get lower than his brother. So it got to the point where I said, I don't want to tutor them together because it's not good for him. I need to tutor them separately because it's not good for his confidence. And it got to a point where I remember the mom even saying to me, oh, if he doesn't, if he doesn't listen or he doesn't do the homework, you can smack him. And I was like, <laughs> not really in my job description um <laughs> not gonna do that but um it, it's managing that like it's a bit easier for me to manage African parents because I am African um it's a bit harder to kind of understand the Asian parents but they they were very similar to the African parents so it was the same kind of thing another thing is I've got to a point where I'm picking up on dyslexia so 
there's a couple times I've had to say to a parent, look, are you sure your child is not dyslexic? Most of them, because of my experience now, are like, okay, cool, they'll take it on the chin and go and go and try and figure it out. There's a few parents who are like African parents that are like, no, my son is not dyslexic. How can you say he's not, he's not retired? He's not. So that conversation again is very difficult because it's like, I know that your child is dyslexic, but you're not having it. So it's trying to work around what I've learned from dyslexia to teach them to the best of their ability. This child, coincidentally, I did actually, this is the only child I got wrong who I did think was dyslexic and he wasn't. So. Fair yeah. enough. Um, okay, so that that's a real, that's real context because those are the type of scenarios you're going to find yourself in. And there was a point that I should missed out of that story. This seven-year-old boy, his mom and dad were insisting that he should be tutored at 7 a.m. before church on a Sunday. So bear in mind that as a tutor, your hours are going to be a little bit crazy. <laughs> 7 a.m. on a Sunday in-house, not 7 a.m. out of your bed, ready to tutor this kid <laughs> who is half asleep before church. <laughs> On his way to Harvard. <laughs> it's oh, and a he, lot. The thing of, and with him, it was literally, he was the only person that I had every, every single week. Like if they went on holiday, they wouldn't, they wouldn't miss tutoring. Like it would be, they'd go on holiday from Monday or Sunday evening, the <laughs> following Saturday, but he will have a tutoring session. Wow. Okay. Um, talk about pressure. Talk about pressure. Um, Okay, so we've covered at the base. We've covered bits and pieces about getting started and some of the mechanics of actually being a tutor and the things you should prepare yourself for. But one of the things that we must call out on a financial podcast is how do you manage the money? So it's one thing making all of this money. It's another thing making sure that it benefits you. So from your experience, what's been useful for you in terms of organizing it? Um. When I started working for companies, um, it became a lot easier because initially I was doing my whole, like I had my own limited company um, and I was trying to do taxes through them. Like as, as much as I work in a bank, I, I hate tax. I just, I mean, I hate giving tax, obviously, but I hate, I don't understand tax as much as I probably should. So I had to get an accountant um, to manage my taxes for me because I just, it was getting too much for me on top of the fact that I'm doing like homework prepping and marketing. I don't have time to think about taxes. So I had to get an accountant. It got to a point where I kind of realized that, and that was when I was taking cash. So um, people would pay me in cash kind of as we're getting to a stage where everyone just wants to transfer that became less relevant. And I think the reason I took cash before is because I didn't like the long wait of, okay, can you transfer me? Can you transfer me this? Whereas if I have the cash there and then I know I can put it in myself. So when it got to a point where I thought I'm spending a lot of money on an accountant, when in all, in, all, in all honesty, I only have about five clients that are through that company. The rest of them are through the other agencies. I just stopped and just purely I shut down the company and I was purely working for agencies because I don't have to worry about that. They, it's like having an additional salary. They do it for me. And I think personally, I also got better, I got better quality clients through the agencies anyway. So like there's one, there's one of the companies that I work for who he specifically targets people that are well off. So he can charge a higher 
premium than some of the other companies I work for. So each tutoring company kind of has their speciality, I guess. Okay, so essentially, in terms of managing the money, working for agencies is a lot easier than trying to do it independently, especially if this is a side hustle. If it was your full-time job, maybe you would have the bandwidth to do your accounts and make sure that money was accounted for. But also in that, where you're taking cash in hand, are you really seeing the benefit or does that money end up on takeaway on the way home or does it end up in the petrol in the petrol for you getting back? All of this stuff, the money just sort of kind of flitters through your hands a little bit more when it's cash, especially when there's no real way of tracking it and it's down to memory at least through the agencies number one you're getting better quality clients because agencies tend to charge more across the board than you would if you're going direct but in addition to and by better quality clients i mean people who are invested enough in their children's education to pay a premium and to go with a brand because they know that to be fair if you went through the classifieds in any newspaper or on the or in the yellow page or whatever website, you could probably find individuals who would do fifteen pounds an hour, but this agency is charging forty pounds an hour. The person who makes that choice because they want a bit of reputation and quality is possibly going to be a better person for you to work with in their home, with the the people they care the most about. So that that helps in that regard in daily logistics, but it also helps in managing the money where you have maybe four or five companies paying you amounts of money rather than 20 plus clients and having to scroll through your bank statements and figure out who's who if they haven't paid you in cash and if you remember how much they paid you in cash when they paid it just turns into a palaver so the idea of managing your money through agencies makes it a ton easier as well as having your own accountant right and an accountant that talks to you so you understand what's happening rather than an accountant that tells you what to do um so we again lots of nuggets in this so wrapping that up there's prescribed steps you need to go through in order to be a tutor so getting your background checks done your criminal referencing all of these things are crucially important for you to be around children safely for your own protection but also the protection of those vulnerable people you're around some things may exclude you from being a tutor in home some things may exclude you from being a tutor or around children period it's down for you to know and for, for you to find out. Your qualifications, now this may be disappointing to some listeners, but you can only teach the level at which, you can only teach a level above what you achieved well in. So if you've got C's and D's, chances are you will struggle to be a tutor. People are looking for people who've got A's and B's at the level above. So to be clear, you can only teach GCSE maths or GCSE English or, and things like that if you did it at a level and did well it doesn't matter if that was maybe 25 years ago necessarily so far as you can quantify it and can can get up to speed with today's curriculum from a research standpoint talking to tutors to really figure out what the day-to-day -day life of this is because it's not for everyone it really isn't it just is a tough ask and the money's there to be made but it's not gonna come without a level of sacrifice and then once you've got that, get a plan and a system in place. And this is where the advice from other tutors comes in and actually finding places to get the resources for you to be able to position yourself as a good tutor to actually deliver value because you are impacting future generations. And an emphasis on the skills that you need, patience, organization, a creative approach to adapt to the child. 
and being able to manage highly demanding parents who maybe are unwilling to accept the capabilities of their children or willing to play to their children's strengths. So having those conversations and knowing how to manage those key stakeholders, because in this environment, a person that gets the service is not the person paying for it. So the, the kid may love you, but if their parents aren't convinced, you don't get paid. So managing that relationship is possibly as important on a personal basis for you as it is making sure the, the child gets the value that they need. So last but not least, managing the money. This is a side hustle episode. It's a make money episode. If you are in this for the money, make sure the money isn't just disappearing and take away petrol and miscellaneous expenses. Working for an agency helps you keep track of it better. Getting an accountant in place keeps HMRC off your back or wherever tax institution may chase you down. Get your money in order, get it in place early and stay on top of it. In the, sec in the final piece of this, ep of this episode, we are going to break down a quick tip and next steps where Aisha gives you your marching orders, the things you can do immediately to actually put what we've discussed in practice and start making that education coin. So stay tuned and we'll see you after the break. You may not know this, but we have a Patreon page. Patreon is a platform that makes it super easy for people to support creators. Here at Black Millennial Money, our mission is to reach millions of people around the world with life-changing financial information, and you can be part of that. Head over to patreon.com forward slash Black Millennial Money, or click the link in the description to sign up and start supporting us today. Welcome back to this Make Money episode of Black Millennial Money. This is a side hustle spotlight episode. We are talking about tutoring. We've got Aisha in the house, and she has dropped some gems on us so far from her experience of making that money averaging two and a half thousand pounds a month in tutoring Bruh. um on the side by the way that's on the side so actually you got a quick tip for us and this i think may be the cheat code to you actually leveling up to that next space break it down for us what's the quick tip for this week's episode um you need to stay up to date with the curriculum because curriculum change and it, it's hard to keep up to date with it so make sure you're up to date with changes but I think the thing I've learned is you need to get selective with your clients you cannot go and be tutoring everyone like pick an age group and get rid of any clients that don't pay you enough so for example I now strictly only tutor GCSE I don't do A levels because A levels requires too much of my brain power and whereas GCSE I can answer questions on the sport without thinking about it um, I don't tutor under Apart from a few people that I've had for years, I don't choose to under GCC because of the fact that younger kids require a bit more. So like I used to have one bag for Key Stage 3, one bag for Key Stage 4, and my Key Stage 3 bag was really heavy. Or my Key Stage 2 and Key Stage 1 bags are really heavy because the younger kids require things like building blocks or fun like drawing boards. So I have to carry all that. Uh, yeah, no, it's just not worth it because another thing is the younger they are, you usually don't charge as much. The harder the... Harder the um, the higher the level, the more you can charge. So why not focus on GCSE, only have GCSE books, and then I'm getting paid for GCSE as opposed to getting paid less for the younger kids. So yeah, that's, that's my quick 
Okay. So uh, wrapping it up, we see this with every single side hustle. You get specific about your target audience, get to know that target audience and find a way of serving that target audience most effectively. That allows you to specialize and focus and literally drive it down. So we've seen it. We see out in reality, right? Where you go to, <clears throat> you go to a restaurant, you know, those buffet ones, they charge you like 10 pounds and you can eat as much as you can carry. They've got Chinese food, Jamaican food, Indian food, Korean food, burgers, nuggets. None of it really tastes that nice. But if you want to go and get a burger, you go to somewhere specific for a burger and it's going to be 10 times better than the, than the market because they specialized and they know exactly what they're offering in the marketplace. If you're doing this as a side hustle, your job is to make sure that you hit at least that £500 a month threshold or one week's wages after tax, whichever is higher hit that threshold, but also deliver a high enough quality service to make it consistent. And for you to do that, narrowing the parameters makes the most sense. GCSEs, 11 plus, A-levels, and maybe even if you've got the skill, university level maths, because those are people who are really invested in maths. Younger than that, or at those different times, because 11 plus, you take it when you're relatively young, that 11 plus is an is an inflection point exam it determines the quality of secondary school you go to so parents are really invested between those windows it's kind of like okay you're just learning maths because we need you to count someone who's doing it for GCSE needs to get a grade if they're planning on going to university or if they want to get a job because most jobs require you to reach at least a certain grade if you're studying A level you're definitely going to university because no one who does maths at A level just drops out that doesn't happen because of the intensity of it. And if you're doing it maths at university level, you are somebody who's very invested and the money associated with that is likely going to be much higher and more worth your time. So with all side hustles, get laser focused on your best possible clients because you can serve everybody. But does it make sense? If you're doing hair, does it make sense to do single plats and specialize in just doing single plats, even though they take forever? Or can you do twists, which require most of the same skills but don't take as long so you could actually do four of them in a day rather than having to do eight hours doing the tiniest single plats on this person's soft head so <laughs> that's a wrap up with a quick tip and how you can apply it across every side hustle but i just got some next steps for us and these are the three things everyone listening right now can do to start tutoring successfully. As if you haven't got enough value, we're giving you a marching orders. If you haven't got your pen and paper out now, now is the time. These are the things you definitely, definitely do not ever, ever, ever want to miss if you want to start tutoring and making that, that money like Aisha is. So Aisha, next three steps, what should people be doing to get out into the world of tutoring? Number one, um, figure out the subject that you actually want to tutor. Um, I think standardised subjects are better. So, for example, I can I did well in English, but I can't tutor English because of the fact that they have different books depending on different schools, and that's hard to keep up with. Whereas maths doesn't really change; like it's the same same topic, same structure. Um, however, something to know is maths, English, and science are very very high in demand. So they're good subjects to tutor, but there's also a lot of competition. If you study something like economics at uni or I don't know even business studies or engineering people are always the kind of tutoring company that I work for one of them it's always looking for tutors for those specific fields so if you have a speciality make sure you tutor in it because people are always looking for that so yeah number one figure out your subject two 
start with the major kind of tutoring companies. So there's Explore Learning, there's Kumon, there's Tutor for You. So make sure that you start with those kind of well-known brands because they they give you like a bit of a structure to, structure to tuition. So for example, like Explore Learning, full on give you a lesson plan and they go through like a little bit of training with you. Whereas if, if you go to um, the kind of less known brands, they kind of assume you just know what you're doing and they just give you the clients. So they're like the middlemen. So I would definitely recommend Explore Learning and Kumon. I would, I would recommend Justin Craig if you have done a bit of tutoring, but not initially. Um, and then I think don't just, don't tutor just for the money. Because I think for me, like I said earlier, like there's a reason why I'm passionate about maths. And I'll be very honest with you, there are so many days where I'm tired from work. I've had a long day, someone's annoyed me. And I don't want to go and deal with a child. Like I, I just, I don't, and it's not, it wouldn't be one, three or four children. I'm just not in the mood for it. But if I didn't love maths, I wouldn't be able to tutor. So although the money's great, don't go to sleep, like it's great. And that pays, my tutoring money pays for my, my life whereas my other stuff just goes into other things. Um, grateful for it, but it can't, be, it can't be your only motivator because tutoring is hard. It's not just the tutoring session that takes up time. It's the prep that happens before. It's post the lesson. It's the write-ups. It's the conversations with the parents. It's monitoring things. There'd, there'd be times I'd be up at four or five o'clock in the morning because I'm marking something because I've got a lesson tomorrow. So, and if I wasn't, if I didn't enjoy maths, I wouldn't be able to be up at 5 a.m. marking papers. I like marking papers because I like maths. If I didn't, you can't do it. Okay. So those are the three things you should know. Get focused, pick a subject. If it's standardized or specialized, you have a chance. And in 2021, languages, so Spanish, French, Chinese, big things. And if you can code, because everyone wants to teach their kid how to code. Maths ain't the thing like it used to be anymore. If You don't even need to speak any other languages but code. If you can teach someone how to code HTML in primary school, their parents will pay you a premium. If you can teach them CSS, because everyone thinks their kid can make an app. And to be fair, they can. So if you've got those kind of skills, those are high in demand. Engineering, laser into those things. Double down on those things and become known as the best tutor. Become the tutor that gets people to make their first app. Use that as your marketing program. So actually teaching people how to make apps rather than just saying you learn coding language. No, mom, I made an app today, gets you paid faster than mom. Look at this coding go gobbledygook I know. Nobody understands that. Second step, start in a safe environment. Go to established names to get the prep you need because unless you have a teaching background or a mentoring background in any way, you don't know what you're doing. Lockdown taught all the parents who did maths that you actually don't know how to teach. You can do it for yourself, but you don't know how to teach. If you think, and you know what, lockdown might be a great experience for those of you with kids to say, I've been teaching my own kid for nine months. I kind of sort of know what I'm doing. This is my experience. That could be your way in. But if you can go to some of these tutoring companies and get some structure put around your learning, even if it's just for six months for you to get to grips with it and figure out what you like, what you don't like, what things you can adapt and use for yourself. It's a great place to start. And last but not least, don't focus on the money. Your job in this space is to figure out whether or not this is a side hustle for you, something that you can stick with and be passionate about and deliver excellence in, because people are not going to pay you for mediocrity. Some of us have been skating by our nine to five. You know who you are. That won't work in the side hustle world. 
that won't work in the side hustle world. So we've got to the end of this episode and I'm excited about this one. It's the first side hustle spotlight we've done and we're opening the year with it. So we're talking about making money from the beginning. And people are going to want to know how to get in touch with Aisha, how to book Aisha. Um, so Aisha, how can the people get in touch with you? Um, so there's my LinkedIn, which is Aisha Adedeji. I'll link to it in the show notes. No worries. I'll link to it. Great. (laughs) (laughs) Um, There's my Instagram, which is Aisha Amira, which you're going to link to the... Okay. Exactly. Um, (laughs) And then there's my friend's shooting company, which is called Elite Personal Personal Tuition. If you type it into Google, um, you should be able to find it there. So if you want to book me, you can either go through there or you can just message me directly and... I'll put you in contact. Awesome. So, um, as always, <sighs> like, subscribe, and share with some friends. If you can think of someone who wants to get into a tutoring game or a side hustle like this would suit them, now is the time to do it. Head over to BMM Global Pod on Twitter and follow us there where we put out polls regularly and also more information on the world of finance and making this coin on instagram we do our polls we do our surveys so that's bmm global if you want to ask any questions dm us on both platforms and before you go head over to blackmillennialmoney.com get the show notes the links that i have spoken about will be there and support us on patreon the links there and right at the very top of the page head over to patreon become a supporter join the movement we're going from top 30 to top 10 this year and you can be part of that so Next week, we're talking about keeping money. If you've got any value from this, if you're about to start making thousands of pounds side hustling, you might want to get some tips on how to hold on to that coin and make it work for you. So I'll see you next week where we're keeping more money. This is Black Millennial Money. 